Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, this morning, we are in the second part of a two-part mini-series, just these couple weeks after Christmas, that we're calling the glow of Christmas. It's really intended for us to not just move too quickly past Christmas, to not just get beyond it and now be on the other side, but to allow the hope, the peace, the joy of the Christmas season that hopefully you experienced in deeper, more profound ways this year perhaps than in others, to allow it to linger with us like that afterglow, that afterglow that can sustain us and carry us forward into the days and weeks ahead. So last week, we looked at the Christmas story through the lens of Psalm 148. We started to think about the Christmas story in terms of worship, and we were invited to join with the heavens and the earth in the praise and worship of God, and that in worshiping Him to find our sense of our uniqueness, our identity rooted in Him. Today, as we turn the page on the new year and we look ahead, I just wanted to share a little bit with you about what we were up to this last week. On Monday, we went to Philadelphia as a family and we went and visited the Franklin Institute. It, wasn't, it was our first time ever going and what an amazing place. It was great for all ages, found things that they were interested in discovering and doing. But on our way, our two-year-old, Everett, got a little car sick and ended up throwing up all over himself, which is awful for always, but especially in the car, it's really unpleasant. And so we pulled over and what we discovered was somehow between the house and the car, we managed to bring the extra shirt, but somehow lost the extra pants. Still not exactly sure what happened, and so we changed him into his shirt, but he no longer had any pants, and though he's two, we still felt like that was not real appropriate to go out in public, so we realized we needed to make a stop, and so we dialed up into the phone, Old Navy, which is right in downtown uh, Philadelphia, on our way to the Franklin Institute, and it was amazing as we're navigating through this city that I haven't spent all that much time in, our oldest, Wesley, made a comment about how how great it is to have GPS when you're driving in a new city. Isn't it great? With the one-way traffic, who knows if you're going to make the correct turn and and all the traffic that's everywhere and pedestrians and just to have that voice telling you, not this one, but the next one, take a right. It's just such an amazing gift. And I was thinking about this, that as we look to this new year, wouldn't it be great to have a GPS for life? Wouldn't that be so good to have that turn-by-turn navigation telling you about the, warning you of the pitfall ahead, telling you where to turn next and what's going to be the best route to get from here to where you're hoping to go. I mean, especially in the midst of so much remaining uncertainty and chaos and turmoil around this COVID pandemic, and as we're trying to make sense of it all, we're trying to help figure out, should we be making plans, should we not? Should we get our hopes up or should we temper our expectations? Wouldn't it be great? How do we get our bearings as we head into this new year? 
That's the question that we want to lead us into our scripture reading for this morning, which comes from Psalm 8, and invite you to follow along on the screen if you'd like, but listen as God's word speaks to us, and maybe even through us this morning. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Lord, our Lord, we are here to give you the praise to honor you, to lift you up, to acknowledge your majesty. And so, Lord, we offer all that we have, ourselves, to you to that end. And we make ourselves available in these moments as we seek to intentionally hear from you, hear from your words speaking into our lives, invite you to be at work among us, lift our eyes beyond ourselves, beyond the immediacy of the moment that we could see you with greater clarity, we could find our bearings as we step into this new year. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this psalm, it's not quite like a GPS. Unfortunately, I can't actually offer you a GPS that will give you a step-by-step for every moment of every day and into this new year. But this psalm does act like a compass for your GPS. Have you ever had that experience where you're trying to follow the GPS directions diligently, but your GPS can't actually figure out which direction you're pointed in the first place? So it tells you you need to go take a left, and so you go and you take the left, but inevitably, oh, it finally figures it out, and it was supposed to be a right, so you have to do the U-turn, and once you get back on track, you're fine, but the way you're oriented to begin with can make all the difference of whether you're going in the right or the wrong direction. And this psalm acts that way for us. It helps us get oriented as we start out and head into this new year. As you think about the new year, are there, are there habits or patterns in your life as you come around to the new year that you, you go through every year? Like many Americans perhaps making and taking an assessment of your life. If nothing else, maybe because over the last month you threw all considerations of eating habits and dietary thoughts out the window and it's like, another baked good? Yes, I'll have that. As a matter of fact, keep them coming on a regular basis and then sometime between Christmas and New Year's you wake up and go, man, you know what? That was a mistake. I really probably shouldn't have done that. And so we take this assessment of our lives and we go, okay, how can this, this new year be different than last How can this new season be different? And of course, different is always, how can it be better? None of us thinks, how can we make this new year worse? How can we make this new year better than the last? 
And so, having made our assessments, we then go on, and often many of us make our resolutions, and so yes, in fact, I will, get, I will exercise, and I'll begin to eat right again, or maybe it's you make that resolution, I'm going to get up extra early every day because I have been intending to spend time reading the Bible for years and years and just have never done it, and so this is the year it's going to happen, and I'm going to do it. Or maybe it's just that decision of, you know what, we are resolved not to let our schedule get so out of control because we don't want to live in the chaos that we've been living in in the past. Which is always so easy to say on a week off, isn't it? Or maybe, maybe it's not resolutions for you because you know that statistically resolutions just don't really make it. So you're more of a goal person. You set those goals that you lay out and you're going you're to keep those goals. And so maybe your goal is, you know, I'm going to read a book a week. A month. Okay, I'm going to read a book this year. Whatever it is, we, you know, we want to make smart goals, want to make goals that are attainable. So, you know, maybe it's I'm going to read a book this year, or maybe, you know, reading's not your thing, and so you think, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to get a new job this year. This is the year I'm going to make that change, or I'm going to develop these new skills, or you know what, I've always wanted to, to get into this hobby or this, this thing, and this is the year. Or maybe you assess your year based on your calendar. And so you start thinking about, okay, what are the activities that are, are musts? How do the kids' activities fit here and here? Where are we going to possibly get a vacation in? Is it possible to get a trip and see those folks that we haven't seen in so long? And, and as you think about all these ways that we assess our lives and we think about how this next season can be different, there's just so many options, aren't there? And it can be a little overwhelming, but at the same time, it's really, it can be very exciting. Because new is exciting. The new year is exciting. We all love new, don't we? The glow of new, that new gadget, the new clothes, the, the new places that you go. New brings, it raises up in us this excitement and the, of possibility. But how do we choose among all of these options? How do we prioritize? Which direction do we go? And on top of that, the options, there's just, there are so many other factors that come along in our lives that get in the way. Things that are out of our control happen all the time. Those bills that you didn't anticipate coming, man, they cut into the vacation budget or just looking at the reality of this COVID surge that's happening here and now, which I know is already changing many of our plans. Plans that you had of getting back to normal. Plans for folks who are with us online that you'd hope to be back in person in worship. Plans just to go anywhere at all visit the people that you long to visit. There's just things that, that, that constantly are throwing a curveball. So how do we get our bearings on our new year, get pointed in the right direction? And this psalm, I think, offers us that direction. It gives us that bearing. And the direction that it gives us is to not start by looking at our lives and making the assessment like we usually do, thinking about what we hope will be different, what we can change this year to make us happier, plans to have the fullest year possible to suck all the marrow out of life, not thinking about the goals that we can attain or achieve that will move us to another, another level. This psalm says, hey, the reference point for your bearings is not you. It's not me. To get our bearings, the starting place, it tells us, is to not look in the mirror Though that's where most of our resolutions come from, it's to look up. To look up. Literally look up. The psalm began, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In other words, there's no one like you, nothing like you in beauty, in power, in dignity. But the earth isn't high enough. Keep looking. Look up higher. You have set your glory, it says, above the heavens. 
So you've got to start by looking into the heavens. You have to look to the heavens and beyond to just begin to really grasp, get a glimpse of God's holiness, his splendor, his perfection, his power. If you want to get your life oriented in the right direction, then perhaps it's just to look up for a while. To look into the heavens, to the stars and the planets, to the universe. And actually, this is a great time to do it. I don't know if you've been tracking it, but have you been following the launch of the James Webb Telescope? I was introduced to it by a good friend of mine. And I've been watching over the last months, anticipating its launch. It launched finally. This amazing feat of engineering launched on Christmas Day out into space. And for almost a week, they've just been unfolding the giant sun shield that is required to protect the very sensitive instruments. This sun shield is the size of a tennis court. Just to try to picture it in your mind, how big. That's just the shield that's going to protect the actual telescope. And it's got to protect it because it's going to be using infrared instruments to pick up the slightest heat traces way out in the depths of space. After this, they'll spend another week unfolding the 18 pieces that ultimately work together to become the lens for the telescope. It's a 20-foot one wide lens. That's, how, that's just how big the lens is for the telescope so that it can look off as far out into space as possible. After that, they're going to actually get it into position where it'll orbit, which, get this, is 930,000 miles away from Earth. Did you catch that? 930,000 miles away. That's where it's just going to orbit for five and a half, ten plus years. They're not exactly sure what to anticipate. And between now and summer, when it'll actually begin taking images, they're going to spend that, that time putting the 18 pieces of the mirror together, calibrating the instruments, all of it, so that they can use this infrared imaging to look into space to see stars and planets and galaxies actually forming. I mean, this is mind-blowing. Because they're essentially going to get to look back in time with this infrared because the infrared moves so much faster than visible light. They're going to actually be able to see. The further they can look away, the further back in time they're actually going to be able to see, perhaps to the formation of stars in the midst of the cloud dust. I mean, this is amazing. An amazing time to start looking to the heavens. This David is telling us as we do that, it's going to help us get oriented properly. It's going to orient our lives here on earth by looking through the heavens, peering off into space. And before, while you wait for those images to come through, I mean, you can spend a lot of hours already looking at incredible images on the internet that have come from other satellites and telescopes, and they are awe-inspiring, beautiful, mind-bending Amazing things to, I, mean, I can't even come up with the words because, and that's what David is saying. Look at it. Be inspired by it. Be overwhelmed by it. But guess what? As awe-inspiring as the heavens and the universe are, it's, it's insignificant compared to the glory of God which he has set above the heavens. His beauty, his majesty, his power is over and above all of that. And so the starting place to get the bearings on your life, if you feel like this year you're not sure, how to get moving is to get a greater sense of who God is. We spend so much time in our lives trying to get a greater sense of who we are. This time of year, the, the self-help books are flying off the shelf. The, the books uh, about how to you know, get on top of our diet this year, the exercise equipment that's flying off the shelves even though we just had Christmas a week ago. 
We continue to spend to these ends. And, and it's not all bad by any means. As a matter of fact, Paul later on will, will tell us that hey, physical exercise is good. It's just limited in, its, in what it can provide for us. You know, as long as you, we have our bodies, take care of it, sure. But eventually these bodies expire. Eventually they wear out. And what's of greater and more important significance is to find our bearings in light of the glory of the king of the universe. And to look up. And as we look up, we get out of the the day-to-day grind. We can spend so much of our life obsessing over what's right in front of us, over the problems that we need to solve, over the, how we're going to overcome this, how we're going to get to the next level, to the next place. And by lifting our eyes to the heavens, it, by definition, lifts our eyes off of ourselves, off of the day-in and day-out problems, and lifts it to the God who is actually holding the entire universe together. And when I lift my eyes to him, I'm no longer obsessed over how I'm going to figure out the solution. I'm no longer as obsessed about how everything falls on me as if I'm the one that holds the universe together. It's freeing to lift our eyes to the heavens and to see that the glory of God is beyond. David says, he goes on, he says, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. The, I love that. The works of your fingers. We just think about it. You know, fingers are amazing, aren't they? I'm grateful to have them. We can do all sorts of things with them. But they really have limited strength. You know, if you started to try to do weightlifting with your fingers, it wouldn't be all that effective. You can do other incredible things. Surgeons use their fingers delicately and beautifully. Artists use their fingers to create masterpieces. But David is looking and he's seeing in the universe the work of God's fingers. He's tiny, he's saying, it's, it's nothing. It's delicate, it's beautiful, it's fine-tuned, it's artistic, it's surgical, but it's not this, it doesn't even require elbow grease. It doesn't require the use of his hand, his shoulders. He's not leaning into it to hold the universe together. It's just the work of his fingers. And when you start thinking about this, I don't know about you, but I, I start to feel really small. And that's what David's saying. When I think about the works of your fingers, I don't understand how you can even look at me. You know, have you ever, ever seen the, the model of our solar system as a football field? It's really, it's, it's just amazing. Because this is a great time of year. I mean, lots of people watching football, fantasy football championships today. You know, just so you know, if, that, if you're tuning in for that. But if you think about the solar system as a, as a football field, if you took the sun... As, as put it on one goal line, the sun would be two-thirds of an inch in diameter. That's like a dime. And you put that right on the goal line. And the expanse of our solar system is 100 yards from the sun to the outer edge. And you start thinking about the, the inner planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. They'd show up smaller than a grain of sand. Like, you can't even, I can't show it to you, it's so small. And you start thinking, Mercury, where would Mercury be located in this football field? 0.8 yards away from the goal line, not even one yard. It's about that far away from the sun. And and then you get Venus is only 1.4 yards away. Earth finds itself two yards away. That's my wingspan from the sun. That's where we live. We live two yards away from the sun in this vast 100 yards of solar system. And how small am I on that little speck of earth? 
You get the Mars sitting there at three yards. You get Jupiter at two and a half. Saturn at 19. Uranus at 38. Neptune at 60. Pluto out there at 79 yards. I mean, when we think about this, who am I? David's saying, look up to the universe, look up to the heavens, the glory of this God whose fingers holds all of this together. Who are we, that, who are mankind, that you even pay any attention to us, David's saying. This doesn't really make any sense, that the God of the universe would even notice our existence, let alone care, and yet, God, you are mindful of us. You care for us. You provide for us. You protect us. As a matter of fact, he goes on and say, you made us just below the angels, just below the heavenly beings, that yes, we as humans, did you know that someday we will be elevated to above the angels? That the angels in the hierarchy of God's kingdom will be below our restored humanity. For the moment, we're below the angels because we are finite. We have not found our, have received our gift of immortality. We also live in our sinful existence here on earth, waiting to be redeemed, waiting to be healed. And yet, even still, here we are given glory and dignity and honor that reflects the glory, the glory, the dignity, and honor of God. We're made in his image. This psalm is broken up into two parts where God rules over the heavens and the earth and then reflecting, David says, and you've for some reason given us as humans the rule over your earth to rule in your place, to represent you. You've given us dominion over the birds and the fish and the animals and all of this is really to say everything that we do is to be a reflection of the rule of God of the one who sustains the universe and rules over the universe, he's given you charge. He's given me charge. So our day in and day out work is to reflect his rule. It's where he, as the, as the good king, it's to reflect his character of justice and mercy and love and grace and peace. Where he, as king, uses his cosmic power. Just had this, this image of the you know, animated Aladdin movie where Aladdin discovers the genie and you know, he's trying to figure out what this is all about and genie pops out and he says you know, that he's got phenomenal cosmic power, but itty bitty living space, right? God uses his phenomenal cosmic power to benefit us, to sustain creation and life in such a way where you and I get to live and move and breathe. He uses his cosmic power to protect us, to provide for us, to love us, to care for us, and we are made in his image to rule over the earth as he rules in his place. And yet so often in our New Year's resolutions, our goal setting, when we're trying to get our bearings, our orientation on life, is that the question we're asking? God, how can I rule in your place? How can my life reflect your character? How can my interactions at work, my family, my neighborhood, how can they all reflect your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your justice? Or is it really, how can I get ahead? How can I get to the next point? How can I benefit myself rather than benefit those around me? Do I prioritize, what am I prioritizing? Is it the greater good? Is it the common good? Or is it my good? Is it the good of maybe those who are in my family, my closest circle? God's saying, I put you here and given you authority so that you can leverage your life and your influence for the greatest possible good. 
And when we set our priorities on our new year, that's part of our orientation, is to realize he is the cosmic king of the universe, and you have been put here to rule in his place, to reflect him to the world, rather than to utilize our life for our sake as if we are the king and queen of the universe. And David is asking this question in the heart of this psalm, you know, who is mankind that you are mindful of us, human beings that you would care about us? He, he's recognizing there's a question about how are we to interact with this God who is over the universe. And Tim Keller is a, a pastor and an author, and he tells a story about how early on in his Christian journey, he went to a camp. And at this camp, there's a woman who was, you know, teaching, and she had, she had basically been teaching about this, this same reality of the God of the universe, and walked him through a mental exercise similar to our, our thoughts about the solar system and kind of finding this reality of how small and insignificant this tiny speck we are in, in the great cosmos. But she really brought the point home when she says, hey, if God made all of this, if he holds it all together with the word of his power, as Hebrews 1 says, do you ask a God like that to come into your life to be your assistant? Do you connect with him to do what you need to be your consultant? No. If you make a connection with God like that, you're his assistant, if even that. He's going to be a king, not someone we call on when you're in need of something, when it's convenient for you. And when we look at our lives, when we're honestly taking the assessment, do I tend to live as if I'm the king or if God, as God's the king? Do I tend to live as if I, I am the one who is at the center of the universe, that the solar system revolves around me? Or does it actually, does the God of the universe hold the whole solar system together and I am just a tiny speck in the midst of it? Because David is realizing how small a speck he is. How small a speck you and I are. One of the favorite activities that Abby and I had in college was to go night hiking. So we, you know, hiking in Colorado is awesome, but we really loved going at night because you could get out in these trails and you could pop out into these places where you could get above the light pollution of the city and you could get these incredible glimpses of the vast expanse of, of the sky, the vast expanse of, of the stars. And you'd stand on this incredible, this high mountain, and on this mountain I'm a tiny speck, but this mountain is a tiny speck in the midst of the whole of the universe. And we can feel so wonderfully small. We can ask ourselves the question, God, why would you pay attention to any of us? And very particularly, David says, why would you, why would you pay any attention to human beings? And actually, the, this translation we read says human beings, but it's literally the son of man that you would care for him. Now, son of man for David is this individual statement. It's not just, why would you pay attention to any of us? It's why would you pay attention to me? But I love the fact that son of man is also Jesus' favorite phrase for himself. When he goes around and he's teaching about who he is, he's constantly saying the son of man, constantly referring to himself. And so when we think about this psalm, who is the son of man? Who is Jesus that you would care for him, Father? Jesus, your son, your only son, that you would care for him. And yet here's the amazing thing, that God says that he came, born in this manger, but just as God uses his phenomenal cosmic power for your protection, 
for your provision, he withdrew that from his own son. And so that the honor, the glory, the dignity, the majesty that was due to him as the king who has arrived on this earth, instead of being lauded as king, he was despised, he was rejected, he was beaten, he was abused, he was turned out so that we, we could be honored, we could be restored, our dignity and our glory could be given back even though we tend to to act like the queens and kings of the universe when we turn back to him rather than being punished for our rebellion. Our rebellion was the king took it on himself so that we could be restored, so that we could be given back the glory and honor of revealing the character of God and ruling over his creation. And so whether you feel like you have a big job to do a small job to do, an insignificant job, whether you feel like, you know what, I'm retired, I've basically, I've done everything that I'm gonna do, I don't have anything else that I can give. Know that this psalm is telling you, no, you, you're still ruling. You've been restored to a place of glory and dignity and honor that in your sphere of influence, in your realm of this kingdom, you're to rule and to reign in such a way where people look at your life and they see the glory, the majesty, the holiness, the power, the perfection, the beauty of the God of the universe. You've got work to do. I've got work to do. And so when we think about this new year and orienting ourselves, look up to the heavens, to the stars and the sky, and allow it to move you to this recognition of how amazing, how glorious our God is, the King of the universe, that has given you the purpose and the meaning to represent him, to rule in his place. This is, and this is somewhat, we get a picture of this journey through the wise men that we read about earlier. Did you see that? These wise men, what are they doing? They're spending their time looking to the heavens. When they, as they looked up in the heavens, what did they see? But they saw the star of Bethlehem. They saw in the heavens a cosmological phenomenon that helped them realize that God was up to something. He was up to something amazing. The God who was orchestrating those stars in the sky that was doing something unique on the earth and it gave them purpose and it gave them meaning and it drove them and it drove them to go and pursue him and then find him. And at, at the feet of Jesus, they bowed their knee as the, to the king of the universe and offered him their greatest glories, their greatest honors, their greatest gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, offered them humbly to the king in your new year. Follow the journey of the wise men. Look up to the heavens. See the God who's king of the universe. Allow him to lead you, to drive you in your purpose of giving you that honor to, to use the gifts, to use the influence, to use what's given you to reveal the glory and honor of our king in a way that benefits those in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, we really... We can't express it through words. Words are not enough to, to help us wrap our, our hearts and minds around your enormous glory and majesty. And so, Lord, all we can do is meditate and consider that which is so much greater than we are. And so uh, we want to take this not just to, as a truth that we know about, but something that, as David experienced, we experience this moment where we experience with awe and wonder and humility who you are, we get a greater picture of, of you, the king of the universe. And Lord, may it move us to that place of humility, bowing our knee in awe and wonder that you would care about us enough to come and enter into our suffering, our sin, 
to take on our rebellious, our, our tendency to live as if we're the center of the universe so that you could restore us to dignity and honor, that incredible honor that we have made in your image to represent you in the world. God, lead us. Help us get our bearings in this and then lead us in our next step that we can leverage our lives for your sake, for the sake of those around us that you've put in our lives, that we can point them to you, the hope and the glory, the king of the universe. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As is our practice, we are going to affirm the faith before we connect with God through the sacrament, spiritually and physically. So please join me in reciting part of the second Helvetic Confession found on the screen. The Apostle Peter also says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wherefore, we quite openly profess and preach that Jesus Christ is the sole Redeemer and Savior of the world, the King and High Priest, the true and awaited Messiah, that Holy and Blessed One whom all the types of the law and predictions of the prophets prefigured and promised, and that God appointed Him beforehand and sent Him to us so that we are not now to look for any other. Now, now there only remains for all of us to give all glory to Christ, to Christ believe in him, him, rest in him alone, despising and rejecting all other aids in life. Friends, the great king of the universe was born in a manger, knowing that he would suffer and die and be rejected so that you could be restored, lifted up, given back the dignity, the honor, and the glory that is becoming of the children of God. This is his table where we remember what he's done for us. If you've put your faith and your trust in him, then you are welcome to receive your grace. This is his grace. This is not my table, our, our table. It's not the Presbyterian table. It's the table for all who have put your trust in Jesus Christ, the King. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach this table, may we approach remembering your glory, the King of the universe, who took on flesh, who suffered and died for us. Lord, we confess that we have often lived as the center of the universe, and we don't want to do that anymore. We want to have you back at the center of our lives, that that would be the ground on which we would stand, the orientation for the decisions that we would make, the steps we would take. In this time, may you meet us, unite us by your Holy Spirit to Christ our King, that our lives could honor him well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>